Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Friday morning Pac-12 title game tonight. Is Utah going to the Rose Bowl? We've asked this question before. We ask it for the third time in four years. And maybe I'm a fool, but it feels different this time. The opponent looks vulnerable. The Utes have more experience. That first time against Washington, maybe they were happy to be there. They didn't have their starting quarterback. They didn't have their starting running back. They lost Britton Covey in the middle of the game. And they still lost a 10-3 heartbreaker on a pick six. On a ball that went off the receiver's hands and popped in the air. And the next year, they felt like a better team. They had their star running back. They had their future NFL quarterback. It, It felt like they were ready to go. And they got blown out by Oregon. But Herbert's a starter in the NFL. Day one, he just he just steps into the league and he's a starter. His team's got a winning record and they're in a wild dogfight for a playoff berth. This Oregon team doesn't have that level of quarterback. This Oregon team's got a quarterback who's played 12 games and he's looked like a good quarterback in six games and he's looked like a bad quarterback in six games. It's not the same thing. The Utes look like they've got the better quarterback. The Utes look like they've got the better O-line. And the Utes look like they've got the better defensive line. It's all got to play out. Certainly it could go a different way. And I can't believe the Utes are going to run them off the field 38-7 to again because Oregon's a 10-2 and team. And I wouldn't think that, um, that the Utes are going to treat them like that a second time. If they do, I know all you UU fans will gladly accept it, and there'll be a wild party in uh, Vegas, and there'll be wild parties back here in Salt Lake, and everybody will uh, rush to uh, get their Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl hotel rooms. Get them now. You can cancel them. It doesn't cost you any money. Get out of the curve. We had football last night. Taysom Hill and the Saints playing the Dallas Cowboys. That looked like an awfully sloppy game to me. Thank goodness CeeDee Lamb was back in the lineup. The Cowboys have cooled off. What's wrong with them? They're missing their guys. They get CeeDee Lamb back. He starts making plays, flipping the field. And boy, when he wasn't making plays, they didn't have anything going. I turned that game on. I I was there from the start. Punt, punt, punt. Missed field goal. Punt. Cowboys make a nice play, pick up a first down. They put the graphic up. Both teams have two first downs now. That's funny. There's less than two minutes left in the first quarter. Anybody here move the ball? They're putting replays up because they got to put replays up. And Troy's explaining why the quarterback missed the receiver by five yards. Well, the receiver thought it was man, and the quarterback thought it was zone. And this is the NFL. Aren't we supposed to have that kind of stuff down? It was zone. I could tell it was zone. Good grief. So the game lumbered along, and CeeDee Lamb made some plays, and Dallas was just good enough to get ahead. And then in the fourth quarter, Taysom Hill melted down and threw three picks. He finished with four for the game. He had one in the first half that was tipped off his receiver's hands. There were a bunch of drops mixed in, and there were mistakes, I thought, all over the field. It was There's plenty to watch and clean up for the Saints, but they've lost five in a row now. Their season not going well, although they have the Jets coming up, so that might uh, help them get back on track. If it doesn't, then they've really, really got problems. Uh, College basketball, Utah State got beat at home by St. Mary's. Bizarro, controversial, angry finish to that one. It was a low-scoring defensive struggle. Both teams were, uh, were grinding, and it had all the intensity you would expect with that. And uh, in the final second, 
There's a foul call. Could have been a travel. Could have been a no call. Although, guys were on the ground. It probably needed to be something. And St. Mary's got sent to the line with nine-tenths of a second left. They make the free throws. They win the game 60-58. to 58. And then the coaches get into it and are barking each other. And, and Randy Bennett's walking off, fist-pumping and hollering at the crowd. And the crowd's on the railing, yelling back at him. It's like WWE broke out. Looked a lot. If you remember when the Aggies were in the whack, they had a contentious game with New Mexico State, and New Mexico State player went up the tunnel with the double bird at the crowd. So it wasn't quite that, but it was close. So the Aggies go down to defeat. They get beat by St. Mary's. And Weber State and Southern Utah both win their Big Sky Conference openers like the Pac-12. They've got these 20-game seasons going instead of the traditional 16 or 18 and that means you got to play conference games in December. So there you go. Weber State with a blowout win, 20-plus, uh, 20 23, I think, at home over NAU and uh, Southern Utah. And Weber State's still undefeated. They are 7-0 and now. And Southern Utah went up to Eastern Washington and got a win as well. And then we had the blowout of the night. I don't know how it happened, but in the NBA, you don't see this every day. As a matter of fact, you've never seen it before. Oklahoma City got beat. Oklahoma City got completely drilled. Oklahoma City got beat by 73 points. Let that sink in. 73 points. Memphis blew them out. 70. How do you lose a game by 73 points? All right, well, we'll get into that later in the show, and we'll try to figure all out of that. But that's the, uh, <clears throat> that's the biggest blowout, the biggest blowout in the history of the NBA. All right, coming up next, we're talking basketball with Joe Ingles and then Lincoln Kennedy on tonight's Pac-12 title game. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle bells. Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. <laughs> With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Joe Ingles, join us now on the Smart Rain guest line. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Joe, I love it when you get into it with the media. That's just the best. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, but it's just spectacular. What are they? Yeah, telling a reporter after the game, asking a question, you can't trap me. <laughs> nice, Joe. I never said that. I just said it wouldn't. It's not smart to trap someone that wants to pass. Like, I mean, I'm not going to comment on another team's preparation or plan or whatever they want to do because that's what they decide is best for their team. But if I was playing myself, I would not be. <laughs> I would not be trapping someone that wants to pass. I'd be joking someone that wants to score, not someone that is more than happy to pass the ball. But each to their own. Good each luck to, to them. Each to their own. <laughs> That's an interesting concept as far as that, uh, because you're inclined to pass, and we've known, obviously we've known that for many, many years, uh, and somebody like Clarkson is inclined to score. 
Do, do you think it's part of the individual player's makeup, or is it more of that's what you're assigned to do because everybody has a part in helping a team win? How does that play out? Uh, I mean, as you grow up, you figure out what you're good at, and some people are a lot better at other things than others, um, re- regardless of not just in basketball, but in whatever. Renee's a way better parent than I am. <laughs> um there's just things obviously that are so different and um, throughout your your career and your kind of childhood growing up you, you figure out things you're good at things you're not as good at and for me passing was always something I was was able to do obviously um, but to make the, the right pass and, and the enjoyment I guess of for, for me of, of getting an assist or making a play for a teammate was um, more in, in more enjoyment or whatever I've got from doing that than necessarily scoring and then I mean JC's a easy one to talk about in terms of the, the scoring side of it because he, he does it so easily like it's the way I've got the so easy for him to to get in the pain to make a play to some of the finishes that he has um, so it just kind of it kind of just happens I think that's when you get to the the professional level that's where it gets a little bit kind of murky waters where some guys or, or players might try and do more than what they are either like you said asked of or are actual capable of if a team came to me and said hey we want to sign you we want you to average even in my younger younger days or whatever playing more minutes or whatever the situation it's just not it's not how I how I play so um, yeah you just figure it out as you as you kind of go along in your career and you figure out what you're good at and Obviously, you still work on the things you're not as good at, but I think that's a. a I mean, and I work so well together. Is I know he wants to score, and he knows I want him pass him the ball to score. So it's, a, it's an easy uh, two man game for us to play. So then there are the other parts of the game, and you got to, you know, to be a pro and to be an NBA guy as long as you've been, you got to have the well rounded game. But, and, and I do watch you different because I'm watching games and I'm watching stuff you do. So, you know, we're ready to talk to you and ask you questions. And watching that Blazer game, I wonder if you were a little more dialed in defensively. You had to guard some smaller guys at times. And I saw you, CJ McCollum tries to beat you off the dribble. And, and maybe he did, and maybe to a certain degree you played the angles, like, I don't want to foul him, I'm going to let him go a little bit. But you were kind of lurking behind him. It was like you were doing some kind of Rudy Gobert impersonation. I will let you go by you, but I'm eight inches taller, and then I will block your shot. And he kind of peeked and saw you and went out the other side. I don't know, it seemed like a game of cat and mouse. Do you, do you get dialed into that some nights more than others? Were you more dialed in in the Portland game? Um, no, I mean, I would but in every game. Um, sometimes you might not have it in some way you might not be feeling great you might be tired like there's obviously a million things that go on in leading up to a game uh, that, that a lot of people don't know about you might be sick you might not have practiced you, 
might have a nagging injury or, or something like that. There's, there's so many things that people never see that, that go on. Um, I mean, there's there's matchups. Uh, I think that you some some guys you you might even just know better than other guys. Like if if I'm matching up against Dame or CJ, I've played against them for eight years. I know a bit more of their tendencies. If it's someone else's newer or, or playing a different way or moved to another team and has a, a different role. Um, sometimes it's, a, it's harder to, to kind of get a, a swing on the kind of how, how they want to play. Obviously, we, we watch film and we prepare, but when you're standing kind of face-to-face with someone, it's, it's a lot different than watching it on a, on a iPad. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would be very confident to say I'm dialed in most nights. Um, some nights you perform better than others. I mean, some nights you guys have bad days at work or a lawyer doesn't win their case or whatever it is. There's, there's so many things that, that go on and um, the difference between that and our job is we have 20,000 people watching our job and um, and commenting on it and, and kind of dissecting how we, how we play on a nightly basis. So... Um, the end of the day for for me and our team I, I think we judge ourselves and obviously individual performance and team performance and that's within within our group if coach says I'm not doing the right thing then um, that, that's where something needs to change if coach says I'm not being aggressive or I'm not shooting or I'm taking bad shots or whatever it is then they're, they're the, the things that you kind of listen to and change so um yeah, it's a, it's a hell of a job, right? You get to, we get to go out and perform in front of all these people, but then we just get completely dissected every day until the next game happens. Yeah, I mean, that's just dead on as far as that goes, especially in our community where you're the one highest-level professional team. We do dissect everything. I mean, we, the radio folk, the media for sure, but also the fans too. I mean, they're right there with you, which is, I guess that's part of the good stuff because that just means there's so much interest in the team, and I would think that makes it fun when you're playing a packed house and there's so much energy. Uh, But I don't know if it's a downside, but you can call it maybe we do dissect and that's what i'm about ready to do so you're gonna get mad at me anyway but i'm gonna do it doesn't matter because you're right that's it's what we do that's precisely job. what like we, we do this is what we signed up for this is a part of yeah yeah it's signing why, autographs in yeah. public people asking for photos people interrupting at dinner or like it's just a part of what we've almost obviously we didn't sign up for someone to interrupt my dinner but it's a part of being in a, I mean, any any professional sports team, but especially in a, a smaller right. state with with no other, yeah, um, or the being the biggest, most most seen professional team here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So my dissecting of your game is. Okay, the uh, O'Neal's out. You come in the last two games. You, uh, the team wins easily, and you have great games. So. I'm wondering, should they start Joe Ingles? Now, I know you're going to get mad because we've known you for almost a decade now. You don't care you come off the bench. You don't care if you score. You don't care if you assist. You want to win. And we know that. But it looks like to me, who's an untrained basketball eye, uh, (laughs) I I mean, I I have a a master's in love, so I know a lot about personal relationships. But basketball, I don't know a whole lot. But I'm watching you play these last couple of games, and you look really good as a starter. I want Joe Ingles starting. React to that, please. I will add to it. Mike Conley's our starting point guard. Donovan Mitchell's our starting shooting guard. 
Boyan's our starting, whatever, small forward. Royce is our starting small forward times two because we don't, I don't know if he's a power forward, but that's our starting. Rudy's obviously our starting five. That's our starting five. That's not changing. Anyone that thinks I'm going to start is crazy. It's not. It hasn't been talked about. It won't be talked about. I don't want it to be talked about. I don't want coach to talk to me about it. I a thousand percent know that when someone is injured, like one through four, those first four guys, that I am 99.9% probably going to start. Um, and I enjoy that little change up of role every now and then. But I also very much enjoy my role of coming off the bench with, with Hassan and JC and, and Rudy Gay and then playing with those guys and, and obviously one of the starters, um, depending on who it is. Um, but those guys have earned their starting spot. I am not trying to steal their starting spot. I'm not trying to... It, like I said, if someone's out, I know I'm going to start. And um, I mean, it is fun to start those games. It's not like I hate playing basketball. Like, if I can play more minutes, then cool, I'm going to try and play more minutes. And obviously, when someone's out, I'm going to play a few more minutes. But um, no, I'm. Our, our team is built the way it's built. Our team is good because of our, the, the way we start and the guys we have coming off the bench. And that's not changing. So people just need a. Uh, I've seen it obviously a bunch over the last however long and obviously even more the last however many days it's been, four or five days. But as of whenever Royce is healthy, whatever game he comes back, whether it be tomorrow or not, um, I'll happily go and park myself on the bench again, put my sweats on and wait till the seven-minute mark to come in. I am a trained, bas- I am a trained basketball eye. Taking graduate level <laughs> courses, had to sit through a lot of film sessions. Jerry Sloan broke uh, clipboards on my head. That helped. The concussion somehow advanced my knowledge. I don't understand how that works. I think when you start, Joe, you're out there with Donovan and Bojan and Rudy, right? And like, if you make a great pass, those guys are probably going to make the shots, and people are less likely to double so you because on the bench. Well, we'll get to that hey, in a second. Hey, Hold on. Hold on. We'll get to that. Going to make a shot. Hey, I'll break, a, I'll break a Jerry Sloan clipboard on you, so help me. We'll get to the bench in a second, Joe. But when you're out there with the starters, of course you flourish. Now, People you're saying, don't. now you're saying I'm passing to guys that can't make shots. No, no I'm not. Don't Rudy's put words into my mouth. Points. I hate the way <laughs> you people in the media put words in my and mouth. One of the starters, and one of the starters is always out there. No. And then one of the, one nope. of the, the big is a seven-footer that catches the ball and dunks it. So that's just a silly comment. You're in the starting lineup, and nobody's leaving Donovan to double you, and nobody's leaving Rudy to double you. When you okay, that's completely different to you saying that when you go start when you uh, make shots. When you go to the bench, you're going to shine in that starting role, given who you're out there with. When you go to the bench, and I have not graphed the numbers on this, but when you're with the bench group, there's a percentage of the possessions, and I think it's much higher, where you literally don't touch the ball. You go to the corner and spread the floor, and Jordan goes to work. And so there's this percentage of possessions. You never touch the ball, and that is automatically going to lower your numbers. Whatever else happens, whoever else the other guys are on the floor, (laughs) Jordan goes to work, and that has worked. Jordan won the sixth man of the year, and he has single-handedly gone on runs where he scored on five straight possessions. So everybody says, well, turn him loose. I don't know what's going to happen, but 
Odds are it'll probably be good. But you don't touch the ball. So, of course, your numbers go down. But your defender well, never on. leaves you because they're not going to give you a corner three. So, so you end up just sure. not touching the ball. Reaction. Is that, are you done? Uh, unless you piss me off. <laughs> Another thing, first Joe. First of all, I'm assuming you, you took back the first part of me when I passed to a starter and make a shot because you didn't mention that again. So even when I well, because you don't have the ball, Rudy. Yeah, but it doesn't defeat the fact that when I do pass one of them, they usually make a shot. They're pretty well, good shooters. Yes, and you don't average zero points and zero assists when you're with the bench group. But the numbers do go down you get, because of the way yeah, the team I mean, operates. I get completely different looks as a starter compared to coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And Thank that's you. because as a starter, depending on who's out, whether it be obviously Royce's, Donovan's getting the best defender. Yep. Mike's probably getting the second or Boyan, depending on who, who it is position-wise. Boyan or Mike is getting the second or third. They're, they're the top three. And I'm just getting like the guy that I use, <laughs> the guy that I defend when I found this. <laughs> we, we defend each other. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it, it makes it, I don't know if it makes it easier, but I'm not, I don't have Patrick Beverly on me or I don't have player whoever it is, Tory Craig or whatever. Um, when I'm out there with the the bench unit or whatever you want to call it, it's usually me and JC will probably get the two best defenders and especially off how our bench played last year and how myself and him played together last year. Um, I obviously understand that. So it's, it's completely different. And I mean, it's just different. It's different looks. It's different touches at different times it's different spacing it's different mm-hmm. it's completely different but like again like you said does it, do I care if I get one shot or nine shots no like if it's a obviously no. if it's a good show I'm going to take it but it's it's just different it's not a bad thing it's not a negative thing that they won't leave me in the corner if that is the case and they don't want me to touch the ball in a position and JC's got more room to go to work or Rudy's got more room in a post up or Rudy or Hassan's role might be even easier because they aren't leaving the corner and if they do then I get a wide open three which Mm -hmm. is great so sometimes I said it a couple weeks ago about I think it was after the game that Mike shot four shots and we won by whatever we won by it's like that's just the way it's the way it is sometimes, and and a, and a big part of that is the way teams defend. Last game when they're hedging or whatever they were doing, it's more. I mean, it works. It works better necessarily for Mike and I to handle, and for us to be able to get off it and like Donovan and Boyan and all that play off a closeout or play, or really, or get a catch and shoot or whatever it is because. I'm six eight. I can pass over it. Mike's quick enough to to get around the hedge or, or whatever the situation is. And um, other nights will be different. Other nights they're switching, and I don't want anything to do with having an ISO against another guard. So I'm I'm not going to have as many possessions with the ball. Um, and that's just the way it is. And um, games are different. Each night's different depending on who we play and how teams defend us. Um, and also offensively as well like certain games we're trying to do specific things offensively that might not 
it might not work for me or it might not be a night for JC or whatever, whoever it is. It's not anyone in, in particular. So the, the game's so different every game and obviously we just go out there and do our best to try and win. You've played with a lot of good bench guys, and I think a great example of that, if people are, are following, and PK and I have talked about this when you haven't been on the air, but George Niang goes and goes to Philly, and obviously they got a lot of drama, and, and he gets a bigger opportunity, and he has been putting up some monster stats, but a lot of it just comes down to opportunity, and that's what's working for the Sixers right now. And he didn't put those for numbers sure. up in Utah. He probably could have, but the situation didn't call for it, and he's in a situation in Philly where it calls for it, so he's, he's had some nights. He's just crushed at shooting the ball. Well, and he, uh, I think a big part of what you, you're saying just then is is accepting a role. Yep. And was he frustrated at times? Probably when he was here and didn't get to play as many minutes or, or have the ball as much or shoot as much or whatever the role was. But he also played his role perfectly here for, for what we needed him to do at that time. And when he got... Uh, double or triple his salary and like you said now he's playing more minutes he's getting a more opportunity and um, yeah I mean it's it's super cool to watch obviously I'm pretty close with him and still speak to him every couple of days and um, I, I still think he would prefer to, to be here with us in, in whatever capacity but he's he's happy and he's like you said he's getting to play and he's playing well and, and obviously proving that he's a uh, a hell of an NBA player. I think he's been start- uh, maybe not anymore, but he was starting for a little while there. Um, he didn't do anything against us because we knew what he wanted to do. But apart from that, he's been <laughs> he, he's been killing it. So it's good to see. And he's got great stories for his book because when I when I see Ben Simmons there uh, with the phone in his pocket, <laughs> barely moving, I see George standing right behind him, and the look on his face is like I saw a lot of stuff in Utah, but I never saw anything like this. The look on his face I, was priceless. I think it. I think it would be a, a very different situation there than it is here. But that's probably also like 28 other teams as well. So um, we're lucky what we've got here. And um, again, obviously, I mean, I can't, I'm not, I've never played for any other team. But um, yeah, we're, we're lucky what, we, what we've got here. Well, Joe, we appreciate it. I'd love to have you on and I'd love to uh, have you yell at me again next week. Please do. Yeah, we'll stop saying silly things. <laughs> Even though in the end you agreed with me. I love that. No, I didn't. I said, that's why you didn't say it again, because you knew you were wrong. <laughs> you knew you said the wrong. You were, you were so excited. Joe, Joe's going to go to his grave, I know, I know, right? You were so excited for your stupid little statement that you said the wrong thing, and then you didn't say it again because you knew you were wrong. So I'm glad we agreed to agreed that you were wrong. You people in the media putting words in my mouth. Me, me too. <laughs> PK yeah. always loves conflict. Yeah, go get him, guys. <laughs> yeah, way to go. Alright, Joe. That was Thanks, fun. Guys. There's Joe Ingles. He joins us every week. Jazz are back at it with the Boston Celtics tonight. And then they're off on the road for four games. When we come back, Lincoln Kennedy talking about the game everybody's talking about. Pac-12 championship tonight. Lincoln Kennedy's coming up next. Stay with us. DJPK, it's time to bring in Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us every week to talk college football, and he joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain's given free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular and hosting subscription. Please visit smartrain.net or call 877-346-3333. Lincoln, good morning. 
DJ PK, it's okay. What's going on, man? Everybody okay? Everybody is yeah. okay. Everybody yeah. is looking forward to a big game Friday night in Las yeah. Vegas. Utes or Ducks, and I think we all know that a second game will probably look different than a first game. And man, the Ducks—they—they they gotta play better than that. I think they, everybody's thinking that, but. You're an old offensive lineman. The Utes <laughs> dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Is that really going to change dramatically, or are the Utes going to be able to count on that edge in this game? Well, knowing Mario Cristobal, the, uh, the, the coach of Oregon, I think that will change. I don't know how you change it, because the thing is, is that when you're physical against another team, you're just physical against another team. I don't know what you do. To, you, you put more people in a line of scrimmage. How do you change that? Because it's an attitude more as than, than a technical adjustment. And the thing is, for Oregon, you know, they've got something to prove. They, 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 went, in, they went into Ohio State and Columbus and beat a very good Ohio State team early in the year. And they kind of had their way through the conference throughout the year. But they didn't against Utah. So, you know, the second game around, you know what the, the other team is going to do. you got to try to um, sort of uh, go against it or, you know, combat it. It's easier said than done because there's no way that you can coach physical. physical. It has to come from inside the guys, if you know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. I'm wondering, as uh, you being the former player, how much can Cristobal tap into guys, man, we got our butts kicked, we got to show them, as opposed to, all right, yeah, that might be there, but we got to look at the technical aspect of the game and make sure we improve in whatever areas that we need to improve in. Well, that's the thing. See, the, the, the thing is paying attention to details. A lot of times it's easier said than done. When coaches, you know, address the team, they're like, well, we got to play more physical. we got to be more physical. You know, a lot of times it goes in one ear and out the other because a lot of times guys think they're playing physical. It wasn't like they were, you know, playing soft um, or they purposely played soft. They just got their butts handed to them. So this time around, it's there's more of a pride thing that has to come from within for guys who want to stand up and play better. So I am uh, I'm curious how much of that is just adrenaline. I mean, if you look at me, you know that dude didn't play offensive line after the fourth grade. He wasn't big <laughs> enough. So how much of that is it? Because you hear offensive linemen when you really talk to one, and, and we work with Hans Olsen, and every once in a while he will just really get into line play and technique and where your hands go. How much of that is that, and how much of it is PK's jersey attitude? I'm going to line up across from you. You freaking humiliated me two weeks ago, but it is not happening today. And you get the adrenaline rush going, and you handle a guy who did kick your butt for three hours two weeks ago. Well, that adrenaline rush has to be handled with control because if you have or you just see red in your eyes and you want to go out and take somebody's head off, you're going to be playing out of control. And a lot of times that creates penalties, creates miscues. More times guys get you out of your what your your, your true assignment and uh, adjusting for it. So you got to play within control. you got to be controlled. But a lot of times when you play in a team another time or a second time, and it happens more so in the pros than it does in college it's an opportunity to get your revenge you know what you did wrong the last time you try to make up for it this time because you're hoping to do the same thing now for the other team it's like you know i'm not going to do the same thing i did to you last time i know you're going to be prepared for it i gotta do something new to you that's why you have to play with the control and that's why you have to play smart and we'll see if oregon is able to play smart against utah this time because last time they didn't get it done no they certainly didn't you look at uh, Utah's ability to stop uh, 
Oregon State or Oregon, I should say, in the run, and it was very impressive. And then conversely, the Utes, which has always been a staple under Kyle, actually both run defense and run offense. Uh, that's what we've known, come to know for his program for so many years. Uh, but I was surprised. I don't know if I was surprised. Maybe that's the wrong word. But that Oregon couldn't run the ball at all because and I realize they got Verdell out, but dies pretty good, and that other freshman's decent. Uh, what can be done from a technical aspect to make sure that they have better success, speaking of Oregon, being able to run the ball? It's absolutely essential that Oregon has to run the ball, so they have to pay attention to details again. They're going to have to start with more simplistic runs uh, where you're running inside the tackles, between the tackles, to run downhill and attack Utah uh, as best you can. And more importantly, the thing is you have to stay with it because Utah is going to be ultimately prepared for those initial runs at the start of the game. You might get you know one or two yards a run. The thing is, is later in the game, you have to open that up to where you get four or five yards a game, uh, four or five yards per run. And you have to, you have to push the, the, the Utah defense, easier said than done, because Utah's prepared for it, especially with the rotation. So you're going to have to find an answer for Devin Lloyd. You're going to have to find an answer for Utah's defensive line. Uh, more importantly, you're going to have to find an answer to the way that you can address the safeties coming in the box to help support the run. Uh, and you've got to get some push up front. And that's, that's going to be the key to Oregon's success if they're going to have any. So for years, we watched BYU and Utah play Air Force, and we have gotten used to watching a team that can run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and they don't throw it often. But when they hit you, they hit you for a big play. There's plenty of doubters and plenty of people critical of Anthony Brown. Do you think he can make a handful of big plays? He doesn't usually have to carry this team because they can usually run the ball. And if they only run for 63 yards like they did against the Utes, they're probably beaten no matter what he does. But do you trust him to make a few big plays in the second half of a close game if it comes to that? Well, look, I'm thinking Utah's going to win this game again. I, I thought Utah was a more physical team all year, and so I'm not surprised that Utah's in this position uh, to play Oregon for the Pac-12 championship. As far as Anthony Brown's concerned, I, I, I thought with the games that I did with him with the Pac-12 network, he didn't really truly understand his progression or trust his receivers. Now, as the year progressed, obviously that trust increased and stuff like that, but still there was, there was a, a, a lacking from a guy who came from a passing school in Boston College to where he is right now. Uh, with that being said, if the run doesn't work and doesn't allow you to open up play action or how you open up lanes to, run, to throw the ball, it's going to be a long day for Oregon's offense. I still am not there with Anthony Brown throwing the ball more times than running the ball and think that Oregon's going to have a success. Yeah, I agree. I've been saying that all season. I'm with you, Lincoln. Arm in arm. You probably don't want me to be an arm in arm with you, but I am arm in arm with you on this cause. We we can do that. (laughs) (laughs) I also was surprised that Oregon's defense last week against Oregon State really controlled the run because Oregon State has been a great running offense all season. But Oregon's defense, I think that I wasn't surprised that they won the game, but as I watched the game and then, of course, look at the stats afterward, wow, they really did a good job. How much do you think that they can be effective run defense? defense against Utah's run offense. I 
think that was a true test for the Pac-12 championship. To slow down Oregon State's run offense, negate them, make them one-dimensional, was going to play into their favor when they played against Utah. And I think that was a good sign because, if anything, it built confidence coming into this Utah game. Look, the last time these two teams came, uh, played, uh, you know, they were out physical that you guys mentioned. We talked about earlier in this, in this interview. It, this was a good sort of prelude to come, if you will, as you build up to this moment to see if Oregon can stand the, you know, can stand the true test. Uh, and and they, they were able to work it. I wasn't necessarily surprised. Uh, I thought Oregon State was going to be better, uh, sort of more of tuned to, to, to play Oregon when they did, but I wasn't necessarily surprised because Oregon's a good football team. I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but it's going to be anyone's guess if they can duplicate that against Utah because I think Utah is still more physical even than Oregon State. The Utes have been throwing the ball better this year. People are falling in love with Cam rising. Uh, but there are Ute fans who are still scarred by the passing game's inability to, to get it done at different times over the last, well, many years, actually. Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it different now? Should Ute fans put away the old nightmares and trust the Cam rising? And the passing game are going to make big plays against the Ducks. Appreciate the tight end play for the Utah offense. And what I mean by that is the fact that you've got tight ends that can run effective routes that are good size, and it makes it very difficult for opposing defenses to slow them down. You don't have linebackers who are capable of staying with them. You don't have safeties who are capable of staying with them. So appreciate the tight end passing game when it comes to this offense. And more importantly, Ryzen, Cameron Ryzen is playing well. He's learned what he has as far as weapons to throw down the field. I think that the Utah fans should appreciate that. It's come a long way. But Andy Legwood and this coaching staff has put a lot into this team especially using the tight ends, their 12 and 13 personnel, appreciate it because it really is fundamentally sound and it's good to see because you know for, for a young quarterback who might have struggled early or might have not really found his way, to know that he can depend on those tight ends and they'll be effective is really a, really a fun thing to play with. Last week when you came on the day before Thanksgiving, I asked you about the coaching hires and how sexy the uh, USC Trojans needed to be. So they go and get a big name. Do you think that that was sexy enough? And what's your anticipation of this person in this job? USC is a top five job. It is a high profile job. Um, the fact that they went out and got Lincoln Riley was surprising and, and, and commending, you know, absolutely um, from the standpoint where I believe that if USC football is relevant, not only in the Pac-12, but in the national standings, it's relevant for football. Much like, you know, the Dallas Cowboys or the Raiders for professional football. If they're relevant, it's good for football. That's the same thing for USC. I think now USC is going to be relevant. They're going to be a team to watch. There's a team that's going to gather a lot of attention. I'm surprised that they were able to get Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, but at the same point, it is a very sexy pick, and you know, congratulations to the Trojans. So after the Michigan-Ohio State game, uh, Harbaugh took a tremendous shot at Ryan Day. You know, the whole some people are on third base and think they hit a triple, and they didn't. Um, so Lincoln Riley, was, was he born on third base getting that Oklahoma job? Does, <laughs> it's, I mean, that's not who Harbaugh was talking about, but and if yeah. you're the Pac-12, you've got to wonder, well, Oklahoma was up and running. Now, you did a great job of running it for five years to win 55 games, but USC is not up and running. USC, that car's got to be rebuilt. Yes, 
and, and, and see, that's when you need someone who runs, who was able to run a program. I know that Oklahoma's established, but at the same point, Lincoln Riley did wonders for the quarterbacks that he had, and you guys know as well as I do, in this game, if you have a quarterback, you have a chance. So it, it's, it's up to Lincoln Riley to bring in the recruits, especially a quarterback, to make you know, USC viable again. I think he can. Uh, you know, USC uh, without Lincoln Riley is a brand that's well-known. It's been down for some years. Clay Helton tried to find his way. He never really found his true way. But since Pete Carroll left, um, USC has been trying to figure out what, who they are, their true identity. I think Lincoln Riley brings that back. Much like Chip Kelly brought it to UCLA, much like you know Herm Edwards brought it to ASU, you know, regardless of the future of those programs, the fact is is that USC has to be viable in the conversation with college football, and because it is a highly prolific job, Lincoln Riley is a name that's been out there that's been associated with possible you know pro names for many years and Heisman Trophy winners as well as Heisman Trophy candidates you saw the job that he did in Oklahoma you saw the fact that he you know had two quarterbacks one of them you know Spencer Rattler left uh, for another for another place but you saw what he was able to do at his time in Oklahoma you're hoping that he brings that same sort of notoriety to SC if he makes SC viable it's great for college football and I think he will how about the two Washingtons with the uh, promotion or elevation of the interim head coach at yeah. Washington State and then uh, what Washington did? You know, when, when you look at what the, the Washington schools is doing, they're trying to get in line. And I knew that, you know, I have a personal relationship with Jen Cohen. She's a good friend of mine, uh, the athletic director of Washington. I knew she had an uphill job to try to find someone, especially with the jobs that were available. Think about it, guys. LSU, Florida, the USC, just to name a few, that were available. Can you remember the last time that's happened? Because I can't. You know, you talk no. about jobs that are open that you have to find candidates for. And more importantly, you know, if you're Washington, it wasn't as a proud alumni, it was to me, it wasn't so much about the sexy sizzling pick. It was about a good quality pick, someone who knows how to run a program, someone who can build a coaching staff, someone who loves recruiting. And it was, the, you know, there was a very small amount of names that, that fit within that. And I think, you know, Washington was able to do a good job and finding, you know, somebody who's come up the ranks and was at Fresno State and was able to, to move up. As far as Wazoo, the same thing happens because Wazoo wasn't going to look as good as, say, Washington. Nothing against Wazoo. It is what it is. But Wazoo did from within because they realized watching their kids respond to what the coaching transition happened throughout the year and watching how they played, it was the right move. And I really appreciate the fact that Wazoo said, you know what, we don't need to try to outshine anybody. We need to step out what we have. Let's look within and see what's worked and let's build from there. So... When Notre Dame loses a coach and they still have a shot at the playoff, it's like that was like the last bridge, right? We've seen plenty of coaches, head coaches, take off before a bowl game. There's nothing new about that. We've seen coordinators take off even though there's a playoff game to be played. The last thing you didn't do was have a head coach leave before the playoffs. And Notre Dame may not get in. Games may not break their way. But games might break their way. It's not a reach. How much did that bug you and how much did you think... Hey, he's got a better chance to win a national title and they're giving him 95 million bucks. This is just what it is. Who cares if he left and if they have to go to the playoffs without a coach? Well, too bad for Notre Dame. I, you know, look, Notre Dame, like SC, is a high-profile job. Um, there are very few organizations or schools 
in a country that can stand alone uh, and stand on their own and support themselves. BYU, Texas, Notre Dame, SC, you know, um, you can even say Alabama at this particular point don't need conferences to be successful. But I thought with Brian Kelly, I thought specifically Notre Dame has such stringent recruitment policies that they weren't going to allow themselves to recruit the same people that would the same guys that would go to a LSU or go to an Alabama or go to somebody else's SEC schools. And, and that's good. I mean, look, you, you, you are who you are. But as long as Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame, he wasn't going to win a national championship. It's been proven. Re- regardless of the playoff situation this year, even if Notre Dame got in the playoff, they weren't going to beat you know, Alabama. They weren't going to beat Georgia. But let's, let's not try to fool ourselves. Heck, they couldn't even beat Cincinnati, who was up for the, the, the playoffs. So, you know, it would have been another time where you're hitting your head on the goalposts and you're, you're frustrated that you're not able to cross that level. So I'm not surprised that Brian Kelly took the LSU job. If you can't beat him, join him. Now he'll take his talents down to the SEC. He can recruit the same guys as Alabama, Georgia, and those other schools, and maybe they have a chance to compete, and maybe he can finally you know, get that uh, elusive national championship or be able to chase the competition to where he's able to, to compete with them. As far as Notre Dame being open, you know, uh, until Notre Dame gets off his high horse and starts understanding the way things are like a lot of schools, look, Washington needs to understand that NIL is important when it comes to recruiting. If you want to sit there and try to hold your academic standards by today's standard, in today's game, you're not going to get those blue chippers. They're not going there because they go to places like Oregon, they go to places other places, you know, and get that NIL money, you know, whether it's cryptocurrency or, 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 or plane tickets or houses or whatever the hell it is, NIL, you better get off your high horse and understand that today's game has changed. Um, until Notre Dame does that, Notre Dame is going to be a great brand, fun to watch on NBC, but they're never going to be any more than a second place sort of standard football-wise, if you know what I mean. Lincoln, we will leave it right there. We'll leave the NFL for another week, but I, I am going to ask you in an ensuing show if uh, Bill Belichick really is Darth Vader in this 16-win streak. <laughs> My gosh, a rookie quarterback and everybody else pass on him, and are they going to beat the Bills Monday night and win the division? But we'll worry about that another week. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Be good. That's all right. you show. There's Lincoln Kennedy. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, the biggest blowout in the history of the NBA? Unbelievable. Grinder of a game for Utah State. The winning continues for Weber State. And the winning, well, the losing continues for uh, the losing continues for the Saints. We'll get to all of that coming up. Stay with us.